everybody, welcome back to The Hustle, it's John Lamoureux. Alright, our guest this week is the wonderful singer-songwriter Maya Sharp. Now, I discovered Maya about 20 years ago when I was working at Tower Records. And because she collaborated, she and Buddy Mondlock co- collaborated on an Art Garfunkel album that I fell absolutely in love with. It is a perfect album, we talk about it here at the beginning. And I had never heard of her before, but I got really tipped off. Her voice is otherworldly. And I just loved what she was doing. And so I started paying attention to her. Then her career goes back 30 years into the late 90s, always primarily kind of a uh, an indie Americana singer-songwriter. But along the way, she's written songs that have been recorded by other huge people. In addition to art, there's Cher, there's Paul Carrick, and most notably, there's Bonnie Raitt, who did a few of her songs, and they've gone out on tour together. Well, um, she also, here's a weird coincidence, she has collaborated with and written songs for and with a number of other female singer-songwriters that I discovered at the exact same time that I discovered Maya, like Garrison Starr, who was on here last year and kind of stole everybody's hearts. There's also Liz Wright, Mindy Smith, these people are great. She was discovered, incidentally, by Miles Copeland, of all people. So anyway, Maya has a brand new album out, just came out last week, called Reckless Thoughts. Now she's been through a lot kind of in the last few years. She divorced her wife after 21 years. She moved from California to Nashville. And this album is sort of her kind of coming to terms with where she's at in her life now. I think she's a really, really special singer-songwriter. I don't know how many of you will know her or how, you know, she might be new to you. So I wanted to kick it off with the song that, according to Spotify, is the one that's been streamed the most times. I don't know why. I love this song, but I don't know why this song is more important or more popular than others. It's called Nothing But The Radio, and it's off her 2015 album, Dash Between The Dates. Anyway. I think Maya is special. I hope you find her special as well. This episode is packed with music. All the stuff she's made herself, she's written with other people, she's written for other people, what have you. It's all here. I love her a lot. She called me from her home in Nashville. So here's the deal. Here's where I discovered you, and um, maybe you get this a lot, maybe you don't. In the early 2000s, I was working in the marketing department of Tower Records. And as you can imagine, we got all the free promo CDs and concert tickets and everything that you could get. And uh, Art Garfunkel's Everything Waits to be Noticed came across my desk. Okay. And uh, it was even one of those early promos that didn't have like liner notes or anything like that. And I remember thinking, who in the world is this buddy and this Maya person and why are they singing with Art Garfunkel, one of the greatest voices in history? It didn't make sense to me. And I I thought, does he, does he need to share this moment with other people? Why, why are there other people here? And then I played the, uh, the CD and 
my listeners make fun of me because I have a lot of all-time favorites, but no joke, that is one of my all-time favorite perfect, perfect albums. Wow, perfect. thank you. Well, that's yes. a hell of a compliment. It is. And you've and heard a few albums. <laughs> yes, I have listened to a few in my life. That's why I have some, some uh, more all-time favorites than others, but it is absolute perfection. I want to know how this happened. Why did he select you? I still don't know that much about Buddy, to be honest. But why did he s- select you two to work with him on that? Uh, oh, let me see. Billy Mann, who okay. produced it, knew us all separately. It was actually his idea. Okay. And I think it, it, I, I think it was originally inspired by the idea that Billy wanted Art to write songs. He hadn't written songs up to that point. He had written, written prose. He had a book of published like prose and poetry that was beautiful, but um, he hadn't put that into motion with songs yet. And he he knew Billy knew that the two of us would be a good place for art to start with that. And also he heard, um, he heard some, uh, you know, alternative harmonies and also knew that we would be flexible with that. Mm. Um, yeah, that, that whole experience was so, so cool. Like I didn't even, I mean, You know, by that point in my career, I had learned not to think that I knew how something was going to unfold. Like, I knew enough to not expect anything in particular. Any plans that I had made would not have worked. (laughs) So, I just was like, let it happen and handed it over to Billy and just, you know, kind of rolled with however it wanted to go, which, um, which ended up being very, very cool. So Art lived in New York. Uh, Buddy lived in Nashville. I lived in Los Angeles at the time, even though I've since moved to Nashville. But so we met in all of the places. Uh-huh. We, uh, for our very first writing session was to meet in Nashville. And that was, I'll, I will never forget that. I have a Polaroid in my mind, like, like it was yesterday and it was, well, it wasn't yesterday. No, it was like (laughs) 20 something years ago. Yeah. Somewhere between 15 (laughs) and 20 years ago. I remember Buddy and I, who already knew each other and our publisher was the same person. We actually met at the publishers, walked into that room and there's art sitting there. And this, we're just about to write our first song. But we had already started with a few lines of prose that Art had already published. And so he knew that he was, he was already in the song. Uh-huh. So like, the pressure of that was off. And, but he was still kind of intimidated by the, you know, by the collaborative song writing sure. process. And of course, Buddy and I are intimidated as hell. Of course. We're sitting there with our Garfunkel. And we're gonna we're gonna be singing with Art freaking Garfunkel. Yeah, yes. <laughs> you, know? you could swear, so, by the way, if you want to. You okay, I think want. I will. Then. Okay, okay, good. Um, yeah. So the kind of you know us all being a little a little terrified, I think, was uh-huh. helpful for that first session. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. My favorite song on the album is "The Thread," which you co-wrote oh, cool. with him. the corner of 53rd and the 
Yeah. Let me tell you a little story. So I play this game with some friends called Music League, and we um, there's different themes, and every few days, everyone has to submit a song that fits the theme, and then Spotify creates a playlist, and everyone listens, and then everyone votes on what songs they think are cool. they like best or whatever. And one of the themes recently was Perfect Harmonies, and mm-hmm. I picked the thread as my choice. I mean, I know I could have gone with like the Everly Brothers or First Aid Kit or whatever, but I wanted the world to hear the thread because it's so good. And uh, it did really well. Thank you very much. But um, tell me about writing the thread because that is that and Wishbone, I think, are my two favorite songs on that album. Uh, Well, it was long enough ago where I'm forgetting which city we were in when we wrote the thread, but I do Not remember New York that, city. Cause that's what it's all about. I, basically. I, right. Well, I mean, yeah. art is he's, he's in that city in his mind, no matter where he is, he that is just sense. such a New Yorker. And he also has this, you know, he's, he's a math guy and a map mind. So he loves the idea that was all, all him, the idea of crossing a year and a street that is, <laughs> full on art mm, so like mm. at the corner of 53rd and the summer of you know like yeah. that is him so um we followed that all all the way through and the thing that i love most about that is that i think it's exemplary of the harmony approach that we took to the album we were definitely wary to never uh, never do too much of the three-part harmony so you you Mm -hmm. don't hear even though there Mm -hmm. there are three of us you don't hear a lot of just yeah obvious clean three-part harmony and that song has a lot of unison with like a cascading answer Mm -hmm. or a low and i i think that one is also one of the ones where art and i are unison for a lot of it Mm -hmm. and i remember being in the studio, he had already done his part. There's a couple of other songs on the album that are like this too, where he sang his part first and then and then I did the unison. Maybe Thread I sang first and then he did the unison. And he's a master of that. I mean, he's like the guy for that. Of course. Like, I don't know any other singers that are going to give you a smokier, more perfect, but also it doesn't sound, it doesn't phase. It's like yeah. exactly where it needs to go. He is that person. That's what he's done. So then when the roles were flipped and he sang it first and I had unison with him, I remember having to bring a stool over to lean on because I had to use so much air really? to make match him. How, <laughs> how, how he sings. It was like at the corner. Like uh-huh. I had to, I was my, my lungs like were working so hard to oh. even get close to where art was. Uh, and I mean, I was like maybe 30 and I uh-huh. was like, 
dude, I need something to read. <laughs> like I'm ready to fall over just to match art. And he, he just would do it in one shot. Uh-huh. He would, oh, I learned a oh, ton. I bet. <laughs> <laughs> Maya, one day, if you're ever open to it, I might have you back on and we just talk about that album, if that's okay, okay. like track by track, because I, yeah. I love everything you do, too, and we'll get to it, but well, I, I have a special place in my heart for that one. Oh, thanks. Okay, let me tell you something else, too. Uh, before I really started doing heavy research to talk to you, I thought, I wonder if Maya knows Garrison Star. Very and, well. Uh, yeah. Yes. So... Garrison was on here last year and uh, we really hit it off. She, I love her. And uh, I texted her recently and was like, this could be a long shot. Do you know Maya Sharp? And she's like, oh, I love Maya. Tell her, hey, for me. And I said, is there any, what should I mention? What should I bring up? It makes so much sense that you two know each other because you're both so soulful in your singing. Keep in mind, I, I should say this. It wasn't until after this that I found out that you were gay. And so I don't want it to sound as if I'm like lumping all lesbian singers oh, no, no. together. That's not <laughs> no, what this was. Oh, I just gay. thought well, you, you two. Yeah. Well, you probably know Garrison cause she's yeah, <laughs> right. I'm just, you know, you all know each other and you're the same. No, that's not what this was. I just, you two reminded me of each other. And uh, then I find out you write songs together and she's got a song in your new album, which we'll talk about in a minute. She told me to ask you about a Southwest flight in which the two of you almost died. Oh, holy smokes. Okay. Tell me about it. Okay. Well, first I just want to say that every time somebody assumes that just because I am and they have a friend in LA who's also (laughs) gay and then no, wait, wait. But then I get all offended, and then they tell me who their friend is. And son of a bitch, I usually do know them. <laughs> and it's like, I can't be mad at the cliche. When, oh. I do, yes, yes, I know your damn gay friend, okay? <laughs> it always goes that way. Okay, yes, we were coming back from a gig in uh, Burlington, Wisconsin, and we came through Chicago. And it was January, so the weather was gnarly. Mm-hmm. And we're... Uh, making our approach uh, into LAX and the wind shear is just kicking up and I hate to fly anyway. I mean, I, I have songs about it. Like mm. I, I, there was a, there was a while there. I got through this part, but there was a while there where if I didn't have five or six of those little bottles, I was not going to be any fun on that flight. <laughs> like I was just going to be like a scared huddled up, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> no. So I'm okay though. I have my friend with me. She's on the aisle. I'm in the middle. There's a strange, sorry. She's on the aisle. I'm on the window. There's a stranger in the middle who wasn't a stranger for very long. Mm-hmm. And we are, we are, you know, it's, it's rough from about halfway on. And then on the descent, it's really rough. And then the wind shear is intense. It's intense. It's worse. It's getting really scary. I remember, uh, actually this was when, okay, this is after this happened. Sorry. Uh-huh. I haven't thought about this in a while. Thanks That's for okay. bringing that. Of okay. course. <laughs> we can see, like, I can read the billboards. We're so low. And the, you know, the wheels are out, the flaps are down, Uh he's trying to make it happen. And at the last minute he pulls up and we keep on flying. (laughs) And that's when 
we look at each other, Garrison and I look at each other. I'll never forget the look on her face. And she probably has a Polaroid in her mind of the look <laughs> on mine. But it yeah. was like, like, <laughs> is this it? Yeah. And we both, we both had the thought in our minds, like we're both only children. We both uh -huh. had that thought like, oh my God, <laughs> our parents are about to lose their only child. <laughs> Like it was horrible. It was so fucking scary. Oh man! And it just like it sucked. Even on the way up, it was like uh -huh. just all the ways the fish, uh -huh. and the side, and the bob, and the dips, and the finally we get up into a place and we land one airport over in Orange County or something. Uh -huh. And they ask us, and we're both just like, you yeah. know, the nails are like in Horse. the in the handrail there. Right. They they actually make an announcement, okay, anybody who wants to get off, you you can, because we're only like an hour and a half from LAX mm -hmm. now mm -hmm. by car, but the weather is so horrendous, like statistically, it's way safer to stay on that plane and right. wait for them to take off than it is to get in the car and go on the highway. And Garrison and I didn't even talk about it, we're like, out of here. Out. <laughs> <laughs> no fucking way am I taking off on that thing again. I feel like, you know, I, you know, we, uh -huh. you know, we barely survived that. We're not going to go like, uh, pushing our luck again. No so kidding. Even though they, you couldn't pull bags. Uh -huh. So knowing full well that we were going to have to drive back to LAX to get our bags. We we're like, yep. Mm, off. Yep. Here we go. Yep. Just like, you know, and that's you, wild. Both of our phones had drained and uh -huh. so our, our new friend in the middle loaned us his phone oh, really and we both called our partners uh -huh. and mine um at the time hooked it up like was the first person to get in line <laughs> to rent a car because there were a bunch of people that were trying to rent cars so she's like she's always on it and she just, uh -huh. she just nailed it and got us a car so there we are in the, you know, on the highway being probably really stupid back with like floods going at us. We're just like, yes. aren't you glad we're not on that plane? And we're just like almost getting hit left and right. We're like, whatever, at least, you know, there's no fender benders up there. Uh -huh, it, uh -huh. uh -uh. You just fly out of the sky somehow. <laughs> no, oh, that's great. There. It was, okay. it was, it was and this thing of, uh -huh. I don't know if you've had any of these. I'm betting that you have because they're more and more uh, frequent uh -huh. with the climate change weather and traffic. Uh -huh. That was, I think, my, the fourth time that I've had that happen. Oh, oh man. Two other times. I've had it happen, or maybe I've had a fourth since then, but I've had two times happen because of weather because when the wind shear gets so intense, they can't uh -huh. get close to the ground uh if that happens yeah over so if this is happening too much they have to take off again and then i've had it happen two other times where oh. there was somebody on the runway that wasn't supposed to be there and at the last minute they see that they're about to collide oh no way and actually buddy and art and i you want to circle back yeah yeah on my very first one of those really laguardia and I'm always on a window, like uh, I have any control over what happens if I'm in a fucking window, but that's why right. that's what I do. Like at least right. I can see. Yeah. Right as we pull up, a plane comes underneath us like that. Ooh. And, I, and I just like whoo, I see him. Uh, 
the window and I look over at, you know, yeah. at Buddy and Art. Art, by the way, rarely flew first class. He would just wanted, yeah. Really? Wow. Deal with us. Yeah. Good for Art. <laughs> yeah. What a guy. My dad, uh, he's, he passed away a couple years ago from COVID, but he, before that, was a retired flight attendant. And so I grew up my whole, I flew everywhere all the time growing up so yeah all these stories if anything i'm probably the annoying guy who's like "Eh, we'll be fine i've been i've done this before you know what i mean and uh i want to be next to that person (laughs) next time we'll fly together yeah if you're in the aisle and you're like uh been here that helps a lot yeah that's kind of more me not that i don't still get like you know nauseated or whatever with you know kind of this is rough but yes i'm usually i'm used to a lot of it uh, okay, let's talk about Reckless Thoughts for a minute. And specifically, since Garrison came up already, I know you wrote you two wrote a song for her last album, and then she writes with you old dreams for this album. I'm tired of those old dreams. I'm not even dreaming anymore. That was the old me. She didn't know she was living for I built that city when the ground was still shifting it's time to say goodbye to something I ain't missing old dreams you paint yourself a Before you could know what the colors are How big is the sky, what's the shape of the stars I'm waking up to something My understanding is that you've gone through a divorce and you're, this is the, like, I'm coming out of the divorce I've moved to Nashville. I'm making a new life for myself. I'm starting completely over. And these are the songs that I want to sort of depict this chapter of my life. Do I have this right? Yeah. Yes. The first album that I made after I moved here, Mercy Rising, was the like from the middle of the quagmire. Just uh, like, oh my God, everything's changed. I... Uh, and there are some things that are I'm not resolving inside. There's some relationships that aren't resolving. Although my my ex-wife and I, that has always been like oh, on good. the right track. We good. have been okay. great friends, knowing 100% we will be in each other's lives. That's been open and awesome. Good. Um, there was some other stuff and also just like, who the fuck am I now and here? Yeah. And how, how am I going to make, you know, I'm taking a huge risk. Yeah. leaving the state that I really always thought I would be there. Like I am such a California girl. Like I just like how I'm not going to, and in the South, come on, I'm not going to, mm-hmm. you know? And then here I was. So that, that was my last album. And you're right. This one reckless thoughts is from the perspective of like, okay, I got through a lot of that. Like I liked, I like to think of it as like, Mercy Rising asked a lot of questions and Reckless Thoughts is answering them. That's a good idea. You know, it's funny when you describe describe Mercy Rising. That's one of my favorite songs of yours is the title track from that album. I love, 
I mean, I love everything you do, but I love when you get kind of dark and because uh, you have that voice. I read it described somewhere as cloudy and I thought it's kind of an odd description, but it sort of fits this cloud. And so when when someone's having like a dark night of the soul, Maya Sharp's voice is the perfect thing for this. And so the title track on Mercy Rising fits everything you just said. That's one of my favorite songs of yours. Anyway, continue. I'm sorry. I just had to say that. No, that song is exactly the thing. It's like, oh my God. Like I can I, tell now that you've said this. Yeah. Like I'm 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 looking down all of the rabbit holes for the solution for like f- you know, for the answer. Like yeah. how do I feel better or different or something? Like, you know, yeah, it's it, it's all kind of wrapped in that song, which is part of why I titled the album that because it also yeah. feel like felt like that was kind of the overall theme. Reckless thoughts. So um yeah, actually, Garrison and I also co-wrote a song called uh, California. Peter Gronwald and Garrison and I wrote that one. And California. Oh, I, I don't know where I would be without you. With me in my dreams when I was young. Everything I needed to hold on to someone the other side of you was an ocean I never even tried to understand nothing that I wanted was waiting beyond you I was in your hands California California You were always good to me I never thought that I would leave you California A winter storm that nobody predicted Oh, I didn't know she was on that one. Yeah, that that one is that's absolutely what you're talking about and yeah. and that one is a is a really literal like i can't believe i left this place and it's also to my ex like i thought we you know i thought we were forever and i can't believe i left that like i never thought i would leave and here here it is feeling like the right thing and but it's painful as fuck and so so she's on that song too old dreams thank you for bringing that up because sure I don't mean to offend anybody else on the record, but that song to oh, me. Oh, really? So, per- like, I I feel something every time I get to say that. Like, uh-huh. and that song came about kind of the same way that the Garrison song from her last album, Nobody's Breaking Your Heart. Uh huh. Don't you think it's time to turn that page? Talking like a lifelong prisoner, but you're sitting in an unlocked cage. What you getting out of drinking that poison? Yeah, sipping it a little at a time. You're talking like you never got justice. For something that was never your crime Aren't you tired? 
We wrote that one together, and both of them kind of started the same way. It was the two of us at the at the end of the day where we had not written with each other. She was in town, or for the last album, I Still Lived in L.A., we were both here. Standing uh -huh. And at the end of the night, we're just like having a sip of something out on the deck, thinking that we're winding down, just kind of catching up. And a conversation arose. And... Uh -huh. This conversation was was about like, you know, we got to be careful not to not to give in to a default reaction. Like, are, are we sure we're not upset about something because we've always been upset about that? Good is, something, is this thing that we're not, that isn't happening the way we think we want it to happen? Do we still really want it to happen like that? Or are we just used to reacting like this? We think we're supposed to want it. Or it's the way, it's what our dreams look like when, when, when we first started this thing. And Garrison and I, our first record came out in the same year. Yeah, so that's we, one of the reasons why I thought you two might know each other. You've had, yeah. started around the same time. Well, we, we knew who the other one was for years and years. And we actually kind of joked now because it was like a... Oh yeah, her. You know, uh -huh. <laughs> but it wasn't until like it wasn't right. until like probably the last fifteen years that we we're like, dude, I love you. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, you know, whatever it was that we thought we wanted when we first started out, we weren't equipped to really know what what we wanted. We hadn't seen shit yet. Mm -hmm. We, you know, half of what we half of what our dreams were was, was what you know, somebody told us they were supposed to be or what it looked like through, you know, our 23 year old eyes, which I'm, I mean, really, you, you know, looking back at 23 now, you know, I might as well be 13. It's like, yeah, yeah. You, know, you know, you know, you had, you hadn't experienced enough to know like what was really important. <laughs> and now Many years later, a lot of those things are just not as important. But every now and then, there's this little kind of old reaction that's like, mm, you yeah. know, how yeah. come I wasn't considered from that? And then, yeah. like, you know, 50-year-old me is like, because you don't give a fuck about that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> that's not important. You're yeah. doing this other thing, which didn't exist when you started, that right. is way more important to you. And you know that, like, when you look back on your life, that's what's cool. Not right. like, I didn't get to walk a red carpet, which, by the way, it sounds horrible. It does. I was just going to say those exact words. <laughs> oh, that feels like a lot of work. No, in the it's heat terrible. to stand there in a big dress or whatever in a red. Screw that. In None of that interests me. City, like no, yeah. no, no. I wouldn't want that. Um, okay, I wanted to ask you about another song. Uh, I'm just realizing there's a, there's some weird commonalities here. So again, when I worked at Tower Records in the early 2000s, that I discovered you and Garrison with her uh, songs from Takeoff to Landing album, which is I love yes. that one. And Mindy Smith, all around the same yes. time, because you all sort of, I I heard your first album that I can't remember the name of. One moment more, it had uh, come yeah. to Jesus on it. Yes, um, I loved her too. And when she was brand new, her label uh, took all of us out to dinner with her, and she I I'll never forget it because she gave me a hug. And so whenever I hear her music, and I think. I hugged Mindy Smith once. Anyway, you two work together. You co-wrote Kind, right? Which is the new uh, um, single. You can put 
your faith in a pipe dream Jalapeno peppers in your ice cream You can wear the colors of another team None of that matters to me Go on and drive your Maserati in the slow lane Catch a tidal wave in a hurricane You got 27 letters in your last name It doesn't make a difference to me My kind of people are kind people My kind of people are kind If you got a good heart, that's a good start If you want to be a friend of mine Rich or broke, drink or smoke to me It's all Pepsi, Coke, whatever floats your boat is fine your hair like a palm tree have your meat and tea or your chickpeas get yourself stung saving honeybees call who you call when you fall on your knees my kind of people are kind people my kind of people are kind if you got a good heart that's a good start if you want to be a friend of mine rent your broke drink and smoke to me it's all pepsi coke whatever floats your boat is fine How do you know Mindy? And again, this is just blowing my mind because I love all three of you and you you are similar in this like soulful vein and it makes so much sense that you all know each other. Uh, God, I met Mindy maybe around the same time I met Garrison. I feel like it was a little later because Mindy was living in Nashville. She's been here for years. Okay. Um, I think I was introduced to her maybe by my publisher here, Major Bob. Um and I was I was in LA, but I was coming here to write maybe four or five times a year. And Mindy was one of those people okay. that I, that I was hooked up with. I remember her walking up to me after we did this festival here that doesn't exist anymore called the Uptown Mix. I want to say, mm. and she walked up to me after, and she said that she really liked the set, and I was already a fan, and so yeah. I was, you know, so we had to make that happen. And here in Nashville. When two people meet at a show and they're like, oh, hey, we really need to get together. They actually do. <laughs> like, in L.A., that doesn't always come true. Right. But here, it generally works out. And so, yeah, she's, she, she is one of my best friends here. I mean, I, I see her all the time. We've been writing together a bunch. Um, yeah. Good. She's, yeah, she's always. She wouldn't remember me at all, but I love her, too. I think she's great. I doubt it. I, I may. I doubt it. Um, but she was wonderful. And you guys co-wrote on her album, You Know I Love You, Baby. Yeah. Yeah. Long Island Shores. Yes. She's great. Baby, I think you may be drawn to drama. It's the only way to understand the things you do.
Um, I wasn't even sure. I don't hear much from her anymore. I wasn't sure if she was even still out there. So that's good to know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. She she has a brand new album finished. I think they're oh, looking good. at releasing it. Um, I'm, I think they're looking at spring of next year. But definitely keep your eye out for that because okay, she's got a great new well of songs. Okay, great. Oh, I'm glad. I've missed her. I think my favorite song on the new album is Too Far Now. Ooh, cool. I keep going till I've gone too far to turn around. I keep climbing till I've gone too high to come down. What I confirm, what I deny, as long as I keep going till I've gone too far to turn around. And uh, I like that one, and I like to Helen back, both okay. of which because they're kind of darker, you know. And I th- think you do that so well. Tell me the story of Too Far Now. Too Far Now was just like, actually, it was one of the earlier ones that was written for this album, and it is it is the beginning of the thing that we talked about earlier of like, okay, well, I'm past the storm, I'm on this road, yeah. and I think a strategy that I've used on myself over the years is if something is scary, I go just far enough where it's actually longer to turn around than it is to just kind of keep on moving forward, you know? So, so this one's about, yeah, this one's about like, okay, you know that you're supposed to be doing this. You're not really sure what comes next. It is scary as hell, but, you got to just keep on going. And at this point, you know, if you do that long enough, uh, it doesn't make any sense to try to control Z this now. It's like, yeah. you know, you, you got to just go. Yeah. And it was a kind of last minute decision to put the saxophone on there. Saxophone I love that part. First instrument. Yes. And I, I hadn't played it for years. I played it on my first few albums, but on the last couple, I just hadn't. I hadn't been using it. it. It might be in part because when I tour, I'm generally solo now, and it doesn't really uh-huh. make sense to have a saxophone like that. Uh-huh. Um, the songs have been kind of leaning more Americana, so it just, you know, I wasn't going to play sax just because I could. I wasn't going to force yeah. it anywhere. So it wasn't until this song I was like, hey, those those changes sound kind of 90s kind of thing which is which is what inspired so so many saxophone players of that era do you remember there were saxes on everything okay george michael we could do an hour just on this oh come on and was so and there was like i was right in that age yes what instrument do i want to play and then like all the sexy the sexy yes were saxophone i was like Maybe that I didn't even realize what I was yet, but I was like, maybe yeah. that's gonna get me the girl. <laughs> oh, 
<laughs> I miss saxophone so much. And I feel like nowadays, this is one of the reasons why I like that song is because I feel like nowadays, if you hear a saxophone on a song, it's often ironic. It's like, look how cute we are. We're going to be nostalgic and play an old sax solo from the 80s or from the 70s or something like that. And I miss it just being a legitimately, uh, you know, welcome additive instrument on a song. That's one of the reasons why I like that song so much. I didn't even piece together that it might have been you that was playing it. That is great. Yeah, well, thanks. And also thanks for the the validation on the choice of that. Like- yes, lured you in to like yes. the song more like hell yeah this actually i love little touches like out. that that come out of nowhere you know um okay i had i wanted to i want to ask about all the songwriting you've done for other people and the whole rest of your career but one of your favorite songs i think my favorite my sharp album might be echo and one of the one of the songs i love on there is you are mine Because uh, I think we all have sort of like, um, you know, a relationship in our past that maybe wasn't good for us, or maybe we held on too long, or whatever, but we learned something about it. And, it, you know, that I love the detail you give in this song about that this person might have been that for you. Tell me about that one. Cool. Yeah, wow. I haven't thought about that song in a while. I wrote that one with my good friend, Liz rose um who wrote uh a lot of the taylor swift songs she's and like little big town she's Uh all um i was living in la uh on one of my trips we got together wrote wrote here and i remember her actually being the one who leaned hard on the details like you know we really like really got to put some furniture here. Yeah. I I absolutely had a real life story in my mind. My you are mine was a like we we circled each other for a couple years and I was always with somebody or she was with somebody and then we had like this tiny little closing window before I started my relationship with the woman who would become my wife where there was like this tiny, there was like basically Uh a night. (laughs) (laughs) We lived in San Francisco. I was in Los Angeles. It was like just barely passing. And like, she was always kind of that, like, huh? I wonder like Uh if, if that, if I had taken that road, I don't, I don't want to change anything. 
Uh-huh. But there's always the, you know, the question mark of like, huh, I wonder where that would have gone. And for me, it was like a geographical thing and a timing yeah. thing and sure. all of that. You know, it wasn't sure. like, like we didn't, didn't even have a relationship really. It was just like, hmm, like she's the one who pops into my mind. Mm-hmm. But like, you know, so I told Liz the story and she's, you know, like we tried to make the real city work and we tried to make a couple of the things work, mm-hmm. but, but the general, like, you know, face in a crowd, a song in the distance. Yeah. And I love to hear that that situation is probably more common than I thought. Like, oh, you know, it's universal. Somebody, even if you're yeah. a kid or your twenties or your forties or whatever, there's probably somebody like, Hmm, no wonder. Yeah. Oh, it's true. I mean, I'm happily married with three kids, but I, uh, I, that song makes me think of this girl that I went out with in high school who wasn't necessarily the one that got away, but Mm -hmm. it is the one that I think about sometimes that I wish I had appreciated more while it was happening, you know, and that's kind of, that's the lesson that I take with me. It's not some pining for an old love. It's like, man, I had, that was good. I should have, I should have, you know, leaned into that one a little bit more. man thank you that's exactly it and you just said it i think better than the song does i don't know about (laughs) that because it's not it's not it's not like right it's not i want it back or or Uh you know to change anything it isn't that at all it isn't it isn't a getaway no no that's not it no No. it's just yeah i wish i'd been a little more present Yep. And so it sounds like both of our excuses are that we, we were young, like being That's present it. anywhere was a challenge, but like, yep. wow, it's almost like it came to me too early. Like I wasn't ready to, to appreciate it. Yeah. 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 But yeah. Um, and being able to take it forward. That is, that's all of it. I mean, that's, sure. you know, that makes any, any experience that didn't go perfectly makes it completely worth it. Cause now yeah. you Hopefully you learn that thing moving forward. You learn it. it. You learn from some failure. Uh, before we get into the rest, I mean, are, I don't even know. Are you in a current relationship? Are you involved? Have you, no, just single and fancy free. Single as hell, man. Good. Yeah. Good for you. I Enjoy mean, I'm, it. I'm, yeah. I'm meeting a ton of people here. Uh, the community here is rich. I bet. People, like, you know, anytime you go out, like you see somebody, you know, you're going to meet three people that they know. And it's just uh-huh. like, and it, it feels it feels pretty genuine here. LA was chock full of great humans. Also, I think mm-hmm. geographically it's more challenging to nurture, to nurture a community. Mm-hmm. And also like we're all, we were all hustling so hard. There's not Big a lot time. of like, free time to just like, okay, so yeah. you want to just maybe all go meet for coffee, you know, like yeah. that happens more often here. So yeah, yeah I mean, I'm, you know, I, it's not, like, I'm not feeling like so fancy free. Like, yeah, you know, I'll be honest. Sometimes being single for five years, for four years, whatever, after I was married for 21. Oh, I didn't realize it was that long. Sometimes. Okay. And I was, and I had a girlfriend for two years before that. Like I haven't uh-huh. really been single and I know this is like the universe saying, well, then it's time that you are, uh-huh. you, know, uh-huh. like, you know, uh-huh. You know, like, you know, like you got some shit to figure out that you right. couldn't do right. in that other situation. So, yes, I get it. Okay. But uh-huh. sometimes it's a bummer. Yeah, <laughs> I get it. I get it. Yeah. Um, I, you know, and you talking about being in Nashville, don't you feel like you're in the right place for what you do too? Absolutely. Yeah. This music you make, the way you collaborate, 
your sound, the people who you want to work with, all of that's happening there, not yes. so much in LA. Or I mean, it is, but it's more, you know, it's yeah. a tighter fit. I feel like it's a better fit where you are right now. 100%. Absolutely. And I, I wasn't sure that all of those elements would show up, would, you know, as a traveler, right. I, I was seeing, I was seeing, um, some hints of that but then i thought like well you know once i move there are people going to treat me the same way because when you're mm -hmm. traveling you know people probably won't cancel on you because you're only going to be there for a week and mm -hmm. you know it's kind of a little more special so then i was like okay well when i move there is it really going to be that and it absolutely is Good. it's such a better fit and also Good. my last couple of years in la i realized the good things that were happening to me were not because i was in la good point good things happening to me were because i moved i had traveled to Nashville. I traveled to New York. I took a week in Austin. I did it in my own studio w alone and I could have been anywhere. It's like, mm -hmm. there wasn't a whole lot of LA pro except family and friends and that it was California, which yeah. I knew for my whole life. You know? Yeah, I get it. Um, okay. I want to go back to the beginning because my understanding is that your first credit is with share on yeah. Don't Come Around Here Tonight. Mm -hmm. I bring a paper to the cafe on the corner I catch a movie in the afternoon I spend an hour doing nothing that important If nothing's what I'm in the mood to do This peaceful image of a scene almost forgotten has touched the surface of my conscious mind Of things I used to do Before I knew So don't come around here tonight But that doesn't mean forever I trust you to spare us a fight And you love my First of all, that's an odd credit. Secondly, um, the producer of that album is Steven Lipson, and he was on here earlier this year. We talked about it oh, a little cool. bit. Yeah, he's one of my favorites. Um, do you? How does Cher become aware of you? Do you work with her, or does she just pluck your song out of obscurity and sing it, and you two never even interact? So that happened the same year I signed. I signed my record deal, and that happened. The share cut happened in the same year. Okay. My co-writer, Mark Addison, had signed a publishing deal. I didn't have anything happening when we wrote the song. His publisher played it for Cher's A&R, who played it for Cher's producer. So it must okay. have been Steve. And okay. they thought that they were done with the album. I remember this. They thought that they were done, and they added it onto the album. Mm -hmm. And... I, the, the only way that she heard about that song was because my co-writer's publisher put it in her face. Mm, okay. So did you ever interact with Cher at all? Mm -hmm. no. no. Okay. And I've met a lot of the, you know, I've had a chance to meet and or work with a lot of the people that have recorded my songs, but Cher 
um, yeah, Sharon and I just never crossed. Okay. Interesting. What a, what an interesting first credit for you. What's that like? Tell me, did you go celebrate? Did you yeah, have like yeah. a big dinner? How did you celebrate when it's someone calls and says your song is going to be on the next share album? I mean, I don't, re- I don't remember what I Maybe you got too drunk to remember in that way. No, that was before I had, oh, okay. I had really discovered the, uh, the joys of alcohol. Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> um, <laughs> And now I'm on the other side of that. Yeah, <laughs> like, I, I shouldn't have same. so much joy around yep. this. Well, I remember he, the first time that I heard it, the first time that I heard a voice that was so like lifetime recognizable singing my words. I'm sure that I laughed out loud because like, <laughs> it's so fucking surreal. Yeah. This is, this, this is wild. Like, you know, I, I, I had seen my dad's, songs recorded by other people randy sharp we should say yes wonderful songwriter and he's i had heard his songs his versions of his songs for years Mm -hmm. and then i'd heard the versions that other people sang and it was always like wow that's really cool Mm -hmm. now it's my words and it's share and it's it oh man i remember though this is still like this is so early on there's like the crossover of all of the lives are happening. So uh-huh. I'm also still a sax player at this point. Like I'm going okay. out like playing with horn sections and I w- went with a, uh, all woman jazz band called maiden voyage. And we, oh. we went to Japan and in Japan was the first place that it's a man's world. That album of hers uh-huh. was, release so i was in japan for the release week no way and so i found i, I think it was a tower r.i.p tower i, I know so i know i do i miss it too i bet you you really do yeah mm-hmm. um, so i remember getting the japanese version of it you know with the the art on mm-hmm. it, listening to it on the bus with the band and so is this totally wet. So I got to kind of celebrate it with yeah. all of my, you know, you know, player world uh-huh. friends uh-huh. halfway around the world. And what a story. Was, yeah, it was so, so cool. And there, and so Miles Copeland heard that song first for one of his <clears> artists and he, it wasn't right for his artist. And this was before, uh, Mark's publisher, Barbara Vanderland played it for shares folks. Okay. So miles who had, um, um, IRS records. Yeah. Oh, legend. Soon to, soon to be arc 21. I don't have to tell you any of this obviously, cause no, but know, for the sake of the listeners, yes. all this stuff, but it, um, so it wasn't right for his artist, but he liked the voice on the demo. And so he, that same song got him to ask me for more songs. And uh-huh. he liked, like, I play, you know, I had like another maybe five or six in the can, and he liked them. And so that started our conversation about me signing as, a, as an artist. So the artist pursuit and the share thing, right as the saxophone. Yes. 
priority was starting to fizzle down now because I got to go do these uh-huh. other things. And, and yeah, it was, it was all right there. Like fascinating. I, I was going to ask you about miles. I mean, you know, this, he's one of the biggest personalities in rock history yeah. and he's a legend and his taste in music is impeccable, but I can't think of a lot of other Maya sharps in his quiver you know on his resume it's mostly the bangles and the go-go's and irs records and the police and you know that kind of skittery new wave stuff and so i thought it was fascinating that you were sort of not discovered but launched i guess maybe by miles copeland of all people who did he originally think that song was for belinda carlisle or something yes oh really oh well well it was pitched to her and so uh, okay. he, well, that makes he, sense because he they're connected. It. Yeah. So he he heard it and loved the song. I'm uh, sorry, and loved the you know the vibe around it, but didn't think mm-hmm. that it was right for her. Okay. So so that's when it then got played for Cher, which got worked it. out fine. And then in the meantime, he he heard me. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, I'd never thought of that, but I I think the list of artists that he managed to push into the limelight that whatever his system is and his thing. Yeah. Those artists aren't like me, but there were a, there were a handful of artists that were okay. that he loved. So, so like his, his taste is, is definitely in the world of what I do, but he just, he hadn't managed really to get us over the line, like with the go-go's and the bangles, yeah. but he had like, um, he had Pat McDonald, Tim Buck three. Oh, sure. Yeah, you're right. Mm-hmm. So that might be kind of along the line. And then there okay. was a bunch of us that like ended up, um, you know, I mean, we made albums and everything, mm-hmm. but also like he pushed us or he set us up for these really good writing opportunities. Yeah. And like Greg Wells, Paul Jefferson. Um, I think Paul Thorne was in there for oh, a while. Okay. There was like, you know, a circle of us that were like doing the artist thing, but also writing with other people. And he, I'm sure you've heard about this. He did um, a songwriting retreat in France mm-hmm. at a castle that he owned. Mm-hmm. So You went so to this, I, right? I went to that as his writer. So he put me in great rooms because he wanted a piece of that song. Yeah. Like second night there of my first one, I like wrote with Carol King. Like, oh. Like, and I'm 26. Oh, man. Like, yeah. No, I'm scared. I mean, I, so yeah. terrified. But, yeah. it, but uh, you know, it was yeah. this awesome experience that I can't even really quantify because it just. That, uh, that tri- either that trip or trips like it have come up a few times over the years on here. Um, we had Alana Miles on here. Do you remember her, Black Velvet? Yes. She, I worked with her because of Miles. Okay. He put us together. Yes. Okay. She was at one of those and mm-hmm. um, she told a story about Eric Bazilian from the Hooters, them working yeah. together at one of those things. So I don't know. I never know if you're all at the same thing or you're at different things. Dara Williams yeah. mentioned anyway. So yeah, they've come I up love- before those things. Yeah. For, for a while there were two a year and there were like eight years of it. Okay. So oh. yeah. We were probably all at the same place having that experience, but there's yeah. a good chance we weren't on the same okay. week of it. And I Got hear it. my friend Lindsay Ray told me that they just 
starting them up uh, oh, up again, cool. like, three or four years ago. So she just had one. Great. And I mean, just, but like, you know, sure. More recent than some of the others. Mine. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Okay. That, that sounds amazing. All that talent in one room and you're just starting out writing with Carol oh, King in a castle. Oh my yeah. gosh. Yeah. But we're, we're all so freaked out because the, the environment is just so surreal as it's just like, it's not like anything any of us have ever done. Yeah. And we're being told, okay, you're going to write a song with these two people that you just met. You need to finish the song because tomorrow we're going to put you in another group. And there are three engineers. Well, the first time I went, there was one and then there was two, but then by the end of it, there were three engineers, three rooms. You're going to record the song that night. And it's not even like, Hey, would you do this? It's like, you're going to do this. Yeah. So, yeah. And most of us were not used to working that fast. Uh-huh. But somehow maybe it's cause like everything is taken off your plate. Like literally like you yeah. don't have to cook your own meals. You don't have to really make your bed. If you don't want to, mm-hmm. you don't have to walk your dog. You don't have to, answer. there's no phone. Right. This is pretty like cell phones working out there. Yeah. Yeah. And so you're just like, okay, this is all I'm doing. And, it worked. I That's think amazing. every single day it, we got a song and then we recorded it that yeah. evening. It's crazy. What, what did you, did you record the song you wrote with Carol? Is it sitting in a vault yeah. somewhere? Yeah. It's on a dat. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you need to donate that dat to the Smithsonian or something like that. Well, I think I, I think I did manage to get it into my, hard drive at some point okay yeah, okay it's fun one it's super awesome. fun yeah right uh, gary burr and carol king and me oh oh and he's he's a monster and he had already had a bunch of hits and i remember i got to meet him in that situation so uh-huh. you know, and he'd already had like hits for 15 years before mm-hmm. before we met so i would have been intimidated as hell Except that we're in the room with Carol King. Yeah. And he's in the, she kind of trumps all of it, right? <laughs> so then all of a sudden we're like, okay, buddy. Uh-huh. Somehow, <laughs> somehow that put us on the same level. Like, yeah. Yeah. And that's it basically what it would take to put, you know, a Gary Burr and, and a just starting out me oh. on the same level. And so oh now gosh. we're like, and then we, and she was earth, just so down to earth and just oh, like there for the journey there for the work. Not yeah. never pulled the Carol card, just no. like super appreciative and open and listening, and just she rocked it. And so we she didn't we, have to go to that, and she didn't go as like a teacher. She went for the experience, yeah. just like you did. Yeah. That's yeah. amazing. She yeah. didn't have to do that. Um, okay, I got a couple more that I want to ask you about. Uh, in keeping with the theme, I discovered Liz Wright around the same time that I discovered you because her first album, Salt, came out around that time. Cool. And I loved her. And it, again, she's another one where it makes sense that you all know each other and work together. You co-wrote Real Life Painting. In this wild place, wide open, everything gets out, everything gets in. I found a trail, barely broken, down the side of the mountain. Never been. I want to see the edge before nightfall. The sun is setting. Let's go. Let's go. We are suspended in a painting that feels like a dream. 
How did you get connected with Liz? I love that you know that. Um, Bonnie Wright, actually. Ah, uh, well, I was saving Bonnie to the end. Okay. So, I yeah. Thought, I had not thought of this. Yeah, this is how Liz and I met because Bonnie's tour manager at the time, Derek, Derek and Liz were dating. Oh, okay. Bonnie, she may have already been familiar with Liz before that relationship, but I, I think that was my way to Liz and I was opening up for Bonnie and hang hanging out with Derek and Liz's name came up and I listened to her and oh my god I mean you clearly wow. like have a thing for low voices but she <laughs> I think I guess I, I do voice. I hadn't thought of that before but yeah dude I, she I had her yes. sing on my version also speaking of Bonnie I had when I did my version of I don't want anything to change which is a mm-hmm. song song that bonnie recorded on her album souls alike like uh five years later i did a version of it and liz is singing an octave lower than me (laughs) oh oh i gotta go back and listen to that sexy i can barely even listen to it i can barely stand it she's just like it's so low and yet completely feminine like You never wonder that is a that is a woman singing yeah. that, and she yeah. is the boss of you now. Like, oh. like that's what I every time I hear her sing, that's that's how I feel. I know I that sometimes her. I get I get low, and what, especially when I'm singing harmonies, mm-hmm. I have a couple of man artist friends where I'm always the low harmony, and they're <laughs> like higher. And sometimes I listen back, I'm like, kind of sounds like my dad. Like I uh, I can I know that I can. I can sound like maybe it's a dude uh-huh. and people don't really know. And that's uh-huh. fine. I kind of love it. It's fine. But uh-huh. when Liz sings all, oh, bad, but lower so than good. you ever hear a woman sing. It's so yeah, good. She is great. Um, okay. One more before we get to Bonnie. Um, one of my favorite songs that someone has done of yours is Paul Carrick. It goes without saying. Speaking of voices, that guy's voice is otherworldly. He's one of the greatest soul singers of all time, let alone white soul singers of all time, let alone British white soul singers of all time. That guy is incredible. And that his version of your song, amazing. Well, thank you. Yeah. Did you, 
did he select it like Cher did kind of out of a pile or did he, how did it happen? That was at the castle retreat. That was at the castle. Paul Carrick was writing for miles. Also he was, or making records for him. I'm not sure, but he was definitely associated with miles. Miles got Paul there. um, And we were just assigned. It was Chuck Cannon, who is a writer here in Nashville. Uh, Paul Carrick and me and, I will never forget, every, Paul prefaced every idea that he had with, oh, this is probably shite. Uh-huh. He would say he was so humble and kind of quiet. But then if he would, you know, try out a line, uh-huh. he would sing it and sound like the fucking record every, oh. every single time. And Chuck and I would look at each other like, is this happening in front yes. of us? This, this, this is that guy. And yeah. he's like right across the room and he doesn't think that this is a good idea and we want to buy it (laughs) like it's yeah he was that was such a cool day and i i love that he went for it you know yeah he he went all the way with it and uh so that song started at the songwriter retreat yeah amazing I love that song. I love him. He years ago said that he would come on and then he disappeared. So he's never been on the podcast and I try all the time and he ignores me, but I, uh, well, I love I promise, him. I promise he, he, he is not an asshole. You know, no, I believe it. I believe he's it. A real sweetheart of a guy. Okay, good. He seems like it. I love him. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about Bonnie because Bonnie, I mean, they're, I don't, it's not that she's responsible for a lot of your success, but she kind of helped to catapult Maya Sharp into like sure. people's consciousness. Yes. Her being the saint that she is, Bonnie Raitt. So how does she become aware of you? Um, first got to her, my co-writer on two of the songs that she recorded on Souls Alike, David Bateau. Mm-hmm. Um, is my friend in LA. I wrote those songs with, and David had had a cut with her in the seventies called wild for you, baby. Mm. Um, and so he knew her and people and like a way to get mm-hmm. to her and to get the songs to her. So he pitched, um, he pitched a couple of our songs to her and she really liked them and she, mm. and she held them. And then Liz Rose, Stephanie Chapman and I had re- wrote a song here. And I think as I was already on her radar, she, um, I think maybe she kind of leaned toward it a little more, or maybe she just was more apt to listen, or maybe she listens okay. to everything. I'm not maybe. sure. Cause she's so awesome. I, yeah. I don't know how, how she would find the time. Cause I know she's pitched like a million songs a week, but mm-hmm. so then she held that third song. Um, I don't want anything to change. nights not so bad I'm staying up I'm staying sad I don't want anything to change I don't want anything to change like it lonely I like it strange I don't want anything to change You left a mess, you're everywhere But pick it up, 
So yeah, it was really originally David Bateau, um, and Bonnie. Bonnie thinks that I, I was I was on her radar, kind like I was in the periphery. Like she she had been pitched songs of mine, and she she had heard my name, but it wasn't until then that we really got to know each other. And then okay. once she um, said that she wanted to record those three songs, I remember I was in Nashville at the hotel here. This is before I lived here. Uh Um, And I remember getting that email that, you know, Bonnie Raitt wants to record three of my songs. And I, I, I pretty sure like I just sat on the, you know, on the grimy carpet. Yeah. Yeah. And like laugh cried. (laughs) Is that your reaction? You've said that twice now. Is that your reaction? (laughs) Is that your reaction to like, big emotional scary news is to laugh what like how is this real like this is so like this is so this is that is a dream that has not changed and never will like getting validated like that feeling a connection with somebody and then having them let me know that they feel a connection with me also and recognition from somebody that i followed so closely that i was so influenced by it just i don't know that there's a a bigger validation than that i can imagine like 20 grammys like i i will take that over any of that other stuff it is so rich and cool and like that was 2005 and i can't even count how many times i've just recalled that when i was feeling kind of shitty about whatever was really happening in the moment. I'm like, well, that didn't work out, but you know what? Yeah. Bonnie did. Thanks. that I'm. Yes. (laughs) So that's exactly right. Yes. You know, I'm fine. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it led to her asking if I wanted to come to the studio and sing some of the backgrounds that I uh, sang on the demo, play a little saxophone at the end of one of the, Oh, there you go. Very early dream was to play saxophone for her, was oh. to play her albums and everything. So I got to play uh, horn. And then she asked me if I wanted to come on the road and like open up a oh. bunch of shows. I have two shows coming up with her again. Oh my gosh. Uh, end of June and, and the beginning of July. And this time solo acoustic. Oh. And it's just, it's such a, I don't know. It's just such a journey. I know that's a overused word, but I just feel like. No, but it is for you, especially. Yeah, it we're we are truly good friends. She's a she's just a she's a good human, you know. And so the the hang and and yeah. she surrounds herself with other good, yeah, asshole, yeah, yeah, <laughs> to work with humans. So on the road with it's just such a breeze on the road with her. It's so nice. I believe it. And again, going kind of what I was saying about Carol King and even Paul Carrick to a degree. They, Bonnie Raitt could invite anyone she wants to open for her on these shows or to record, like you said, to record anybody she wants, or she could write them herself. 
or she and John Hyatt can go off somewhere and come up with another masterpiece like they always seem to do. But she chose you. That is nuts. You know? I mean, I mean, come on. Don't you sort of just want to laugh and cry at that? I, <laughs> I like, kind of cry. Yes. I'm sort of, yes, you're right. On your behalf, that is sort of the response. <laughs> it would just, I, if I were in that hotel room and someone told me, Bonnie Raitt, is going to do my songs. I think I would probably just pass out on the edge of the bed. One of the song now. One of the songs I meant. I I screwed up a little bit. I I have souls alike, and I meant to listen to it in preparation for us talking, and I didn't get around to it. I haven't listened to it for a while. But Crooked Crown is one of these songs, right? version of crooked crown from your second album is a very odd almost yeah. jazz it's whacked time signature i i mean no we just established how wonderful you are i can't imagine someone like bonnie Raitt listening to crooked crown and being like "Ooh, that's a song for me i can't either it's kind of an oddity for yeah. even for you i know i know that i think her, that happening with her was like the last sign that I needed to finally learn the lesson. Don't think you can plan anything. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I, I had written and pitched a hundred songs that I was like, this is down the middle, Bonnie Ray. This is mm -hmm. so obvious. And those didn't land anywhere. And then there's this like quirky thing yeah. that is really just about, you know, the confidence line. It's kind of like, imposter syndrome song it's like some mm, sometimes i, I feel like a rock star sometimes i feel like a fraud i've some you know i'm i'm just barely over the fear line all the time and like mm -hmm. i i was feeling that i still mm -hmm. get some waves of that sometimes fortunately less and less but mm -hmm. i so you know i was feeling that and just kind of had to get that out david is most of the music on that one mm. i am most of the lyric on that one it does it didn't always separate like that but in, okay. in that one it did and uh i never in a million years thought that she would be drawn to that that she would no. relate to that and so i i think really that happening 
finally just slap me in the face and like stop thinking that you know anything. Yeah. yeah. Like, just just keep on just do your thing out there and let the quirky thing. I mean, the Dixie Chick song "Home." Yeah. Yeah. I never thought that that would happen. Or the chicks. My publisher at the time, Scott Sherrod, pitched it to their producer. And I was like, wait, home? Like, I thought, you know, it'd be one of these other, like, trying to be like their last album that Uh for the publisher. You know, I thought, and he was like, "Mm -mm." he pitched them that, and that's what they went for. Like, okay. Right. (sighs) Yeah. I'm I'm just going to be over here. What else can you do? You know, you guys figure it out. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. I, I mean, there's a ton more I could ask you about Lisa Loeb. She's been on here. Kev Mo. There's That's tons cool. of others, but um, I did want to circle back to art one more time because we haven't really talked about your production career mm. and you produced those two songs that are on his like compilation album. Yeah. Uh, Long way home and Lena. Do I say yeah. it? I can't remember. Yeah. And he obviously liked you enough. I mean, you guys still keep in touch. Why are there not more female producers? Oh, How hard God. is it for a female to, I've only, I, I don't know if you know who Genya Raven is. She was a singer in the seventies and she put out a couple kind of, she produced the first um, dead boys album, young something and snotty. Why am I forgetting on the name of that? Anyway, real trailblazer women in rock. And yet, She's one of the only female producers I know or can think of. Why is that so difficult? Oh, man. Yeah, I'm going to need a little time to think about that one. Um, Yeah, it's not just production. I mean, yeah. uh, And also, I want to say there are more than we've seen yet there are yeah. there are a lot of young female producers it seems that way like it's getting that better are on the rise mm-hmm. there are other ones too like oh come on trina schumacher right mm-hmm. the mere fact that we're like struggling for names 
I know. says, you know, Ed Stasium, the famous producer, the Ramones and all that, he was on here recently and he worked with Genya on her solo albums. And we were talking about this and he said, it's just really like an old boys club. And it's difficult for, especially back in like the heyday of the rock, you know, world, 70s, 80s, that kind of stuff. It was just difficult for women to break through and it's never quite come around. You know, the culture has never quite shifted. It probably yeah, does in the I, indie ranks, like with you. Right, right. And and I want to say that there, I I think that there's a turn for the better. I think Good. that there there is a batch of late 20s, early 30s, middle 30s, late 30s uh-huh. you know, that, are, that are on their way now. Yeah. Um, I, I know there's a handful in Los Angeles for sure. A lot, of, I think there's a lot of female producers in, um, more of like the film and TV sync mm. world mm. that's yeah. happening. So you're not, you won't necessarily hear their names in the mainstream, but you've heard their work. Mm-hmm. So hopefully it's, it's just a matter of time, but hopefully, yeah, there's, yeah, there's a lot of ceilings out there. Yeah. It's hard to, you know, I mean, Garrison and I talk about this too, like how much of a, you know, you know, there's a lot of ceilings that aren't necessarily spoken to your face. Mm-hmm. So you don't, you don't know why it didn't work out. Yeah. Did you not get the gig because of who you love or because of your gender mm-hmm. or was it really something else? You know, yeah. so it's, it's it's hard really to break it all down yeah yeah and but art you know wasn't thinking of that he just like he just wanted a comfortable environment and we had already worked together for you know for years long way home is a song that i did in the opening set so he heard it every night Mm -hmm. that we were on the road so he always liked it and it had a line in there um uh so i followed you there like the sick fuck i am Just your home. You're welcome that morning. The dead finally come for somebody. Sick fuck I am to see what he do and say goodbye again. He opened the door and opened his arms and you fell in like a baby. And I'm pretty sure that's why he cut it because he wanted, he was like, I'm going to show everybody how sweet I am. I want to say sick fuck in a song. Okay, it's so funny you say that because getting ready to talk to you, I listened to it again. And that line struck me really hard. And I thought, you, you just don't imagine someone like Art Garfunkel saying sick fuck very often he, in a he song. Wants you to. Like, I think he was, yes. he was, he was done with people not thinking that he has a side of him that wants to talk about being a sick fuck. 
You know? Oh my gosh. I love that. I love that you said it because I felt too sheepish to ask you about it, but I had that same thought like, wow, Art Garfunkel's going for it on this one. And I, so for my version, I intentionally sang it in a non threatening, very like it could have, it could have been any word, you know, fuck I am. Like I, Uh I softened it on purpose. Yeah. He leaned into it. Yes, he did. I, I remember the first time that he did it, you know, the engineer and I, Ryan Freeland, we just kind of look at each other like, all right, that's, well, that's how he wants to deliver right. that. <laughs> I love that. I love it. James Taylor put out an album uh, in the late 90s, early 2000s called Hourglass. And there's a song on there. I can't remember the name of it now. It's track two, if I remember right. And he says his fucked up family. And it's the only someone like James Taylor, whose songs are so sweet and so nice and so soft. And so, you know, for yeah. him to drop an F-bomb out of nowhere, more in the style that you did it on your version of your song, mm-hmm. is so like, whoa, did I just hear James Taylor say an F-word? He could have said whatever he wanted. He chose an F-word. And you know that guys like him and Art must be like, I'm tired of people thinking they know who I am. I'm going to just right. put these little, drop these little bombs in there for them to dis- to deal with. Right. Also, yeah. if you say the F word once every 20 years, it's going to mean a little more. That's true. 20 <laughs> times a, in three minutes. Good point. Good point. Very good point. Uh, Maya, I think you're special. I always have. I, I love everything you do. I love your voice. I love your songwriting. I was getting, getting ready to talk to you. I thought she reminds me of like the female Jason Isbell in a Uh-oh. way. Man, you just, that's like the coolest thing you could have well, said. I'm such I, a Jason Isbell font, fan. I am too. And I thought that because I know he's having a big moment and he has had for, you know, rightfully so for like a decade now. And he kind of went, he's now becoming this like poet laureate of, you know, America in a way and his songs and everything. And I yeah. thought Maya reminds me so much of the, she's like the female version of that. Oh, and uh, so I just wanted you to know, I just think you're great. Thank you. Wow. Well, thank you. And thanks for doing all this homework. And it's not, I've you know, been listening to you, you since know, everything waits you? to be noticed. It's not that hard of homework. <laughs> you were at Tower. I mean, yeah. man, you had me at Tower. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the days. Uh, Those are the days. All right. There you have it. Maya Sharp. I love her. I hope you guys heard some things you like too. By the way, I don't know how many of you actually, we always play an outro song. I don't know how many of you actually stay for the whole song, but we talked about it in here. My favorite Maya Sharp song is off her last album. It's called Mercy Rising, and this is it. And I perfectly, I purposely played it at the end because I wanted you to get the full experience. I love it so much. It's so deep. That voice of hers is incredible. Also, really good news. She and Garrison are going to come back on the show in October, and we're going to do kind of a panel discussion, okay? We're going to talk about the new product projects they're working on. We might go a little deeper on what it's like being a, a lesbian in the music industry. I purposely didn't want to touch on that too, too much or overdo it, but that's a big part of both their stories. It's hard enough being a woman in the music industry let alone gay as well. So we're going to get into this and a lot of other things, the things they're up to. I really love them both. They're so special. Also, we have two copies of her new album, Reckless Thoughts, to give away on CD. So if you have not yet signed up for Patreon and you'd like one of those CDs, 
hurry and do so. The link is in the description of the show here. If you are already on there, I'll be posting something soon so that you can be in the running to win one of those CDs. Again, I have two. It's so good. Now, as I mentioned, we're kind of at the beginning of like a 90s set here. Three weeks of artists that sort of came into prominence or at least started in the 90s. Next week's episode is one of the most surprising conversations I've had since I started doing this. And there's a reason for that. Number one, the mu- the genre of music is not something we cover on here very often. Okay? So that already is a little different. And then this particular person uh, has a reputation of being a complete dick. And you're going to find that he is not a complete dick at all. And I'm excited to share this with you because I think you're going to be shocked by how much you enjoy next week's conversation. Okay? That's what's coming up. Huge thanks, as always, to Yan the Marimakiewicz. Thank you for everything, buddy. You guys, you can find us on Twitter, whatever it is, X, at the Hustle Pod. Uh, email at thehustlepod at gmail.com. Facebook, you can like our page on there, send us a message. Uh, there you have it. That's everything. We love you all. See rising